Welcome to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Have you ever wondered how healthcare works? Would you like to take a look behind the curtain with industry experts, healthcare executives, and policymakers to demystify the topics of the day and the ongoing evolution of healthcare? We invite you to come on a journey to learn about the ecosystem that keeps you and your family healthy. This podcast is sponsored by the Michigan Association of Health Plans, representing 10 health insurers here in the state of Michigan and delivering care to 3.1 million Michiganders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Explanation of Benefits podcast sponsored by the Michigan Association of Health Plans. Um, This week on our podcast, we have Rick Murdoch. And uh, Rick, if you don't mind, introduce yourself to our listeners and then we'll get into what our topic will be for for this chat. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, Rick Murdoch. I'm former director of the Michigan Association of Health Plans, and now I guess I would call myself semi-retired, but working on a few projects, one of which is the Michigan ACE Initiative. And that's what we're. I think we'll spend a little, a lot of our time on here today is just the, the amazing work that you and the foundation and, and a lot of people around Michigan, Michigan from our master trainers uh, and other trainers are doing around ACEs. Um, but l- let's dive into this a little bit more. So you were the executive director at the Michigan Association of Health Plans. Um, and then before that, you were with, uh, with the Medicaid program, correct? Well, if you go back far enough, uh, I spent a couple of years in the Michigan legislature working for the health committees and then about 15 years working in the state budget office and then moved on to the Medicaid program and helped launch the Michigan Medicaid managed care program and then took an early retirement and joined MAHP and the rest was history. You you can't seem to stay retired then, Rick. It seems, you know, between uh, the state and then uh, being at the association and and now uh, is is retirement a word you 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 know and understand or is it just kind of a a philosophy for you? I think it's a goal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm not quite sure how to get there yet, but uh, I think it's going to happen. You know, it's time to move on um, in different ways. And, um, you know, as I left the association, that was the right time to do it. And I I think uh, I'm leaving the ACE initiative after this year on a full-time basis, Uh, but I'll I'll stay engaged as I need to. You know, you you can't totally leave. I I think that's correct. (laughs) <laughs> and and I think the th- you know the thing is just that after you go through your background of working with the legislature and working in state government and working at the association, I mean you just have a very broad spectrum understanding of the healthcare system in Michigan, right? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know there's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of people that have spent uh, their life doing either budget or trade association directors or, you know, folks that have worked in the uh, state health department. Uh, I've I've been fortunate to be in all three of those areas. And, you know, I I think it's given me a good, well-rounded background. Unfortunately, I I see shades of gray in all of it. And uh, I I wish I could uh, just have a black and white, you know, be totally directive, but... uh, you know, it's it's been an interesting uh, professional life, <laughs> and yeah, that's 
and I think that just gives us a lot of context for this because you know you um, in your it sounds like your second or third retirement at this point you're working on on aces on adverse childhood experiences. Um, has this been something that you've been watching since since the '90s when the first studies came out, or was this um, something you caught at the tail end of your career? Like where did it fall in that in that arc? You know, it's kind of an interesting story. I you know. Part of my background is I graduated from the University of Michigan School of Public Health. And, you know, I pride myself on staying current with a lot of issues in the public health realm uh, and policy and everything. And I have to acknowledge that I was totally ignorant of the uh, ACE uh, study, the original study that was conducted uh, by CDC and uh, Kaiser Permanente Health Plan back in the 1990s, and was totally unaware of the research and some of the follow-up activity that took place subsequent to it. So I I was kind of Johnny-come-lately in terms of finding it, but uh, it, it was... It just struck me once I read the study and and got some of the information, you know, and, and saw the data and the impact. You just couldn't walk away from it. Uh, I also have to acknowledge that I got there. Um, th- there's a little bit of a story there. I don't know how much time we have on on some of these areas, but um, you know, my my path to get to the Michigan ACE Initiative took me uh, through what I would define as a perfect storm in state budgeting. Um, this this goes back to 2015, and at that time, we were asked by the state budget director to, and we being the Michigan Association of Health Plans, to analyze future projections in Medicaid spending uh, to see if the shortfall they're projecting was uh, consistent with our observation. And we did a pretty intense uh, review. We engaged some additional consultants. And we just saw between the some of the tax revenue falling off and some of the new state obligations because of the Healthy Michigan program and the increased expenditures on pharmacy that we were looking at about a billion dollar general fund shortfall. And, you know, the second question then was what were we going to do about it? And we came up with a series of recommendations, some of which uh, were taken, some of which uh, I think we were able to kick the can forward so we didn't have to deal with it. Um, and some of them are still in motion. Uh, but uh, part of it was, you know, we, we need to start thinking outside the box in terms of how we deal with healthcare, And we need to, you know, as the conversation went on, we really need to figure out, are we really interested in improving the overall health status of individuals, or are we interested in just uh, creating efficiency in the health system? You know, those are two separate, uh, very distinct questions. And I, I think as time has gone on, you know, from the health plan perspective and others, we're, we're interested in improving the overall health status of individuals. And... To that end, you know, I, I think we have to realize that uh, some of the preventive practices make more of a difference. And 
there's been uh, different titles, different labels, nomenclature, if you will, on what we now call social determinants of health. But that's that seems to be where we need to spend more and more of our time. And because of that, you know, I, I wanted to bring some of this information back to the association. And I was looking for the right vehicle. And, and part of it was our 2016 uh, summer conference. And we ended up bringing the original researcher uh, of the ACE study, uh, Dr. Rob Anda. Uh, and he made our um, general keynote presentation for that conference. And if you can imagine, and you've been there, Jeff, uh, many times, and hopefully we'll get to having them in person again. Um, <laughs> but if if uh, if you can imagine our our, our the audience that typically goes to this conference is uh, senior health plan staff, uh, num number of the advocacy groups, uh, actuarials, uh, some medical clinical folks, um, you know, about 400 or so. And Rob, who I've gotten to know quite, quite closely over the last number of years, Rob just uh, kept them spellbound by his presentation, just showing the data, what it meant, and the linkage to a lot of the healthcare issues that uh, we spend a lot of time and energy and resources on. And I'm I'm not going to say this is the the panacea, but it it certainly gave gave us a different roadmap to deal with healthcare issues that we haven't looked at before. And I could get excited over it. Um, I, I do have to acknowledge that I was led to uh, look at Rob and some of the other issues uh, through the work that my wife had done at uh, the Veterans Administration, where she was doing some trauma work, uh, particularly trauma-sensitive uh, yoga practices, where they're now starting to see positive results from that practice. And she was aware of a lot of the trauma uh, research that had gone on there and suggested, you know, why don't you look at this uh, YouTube of uh, Dr. Burke Harris, Nadine Burke Harris. And for those who work in the uh, ACE uh, area, uh, it's probably one of the best 10 or 12 minutes that uh, you'll spend. Uh, I, I would encourage everyone to get to it uh, because it just excited me beyond anything. And while we couldn't get Dr. Burke Harris to come to our conference, we thought uh, bringing Dr. Anna would be a, a good, and, and it proved to be a, an excellent choice. And that's where it all started. Long-winded. Well, you, uh, you get, <laughs> no, it's good. And, and you know, there's a lot that you kind of touched on that I want to go through the rest. But, you know, I think from the storytelling perspective, you know, keep, keep to giving us the stories behind it because, so much of ACEs is really based in that one individual person's story and how that's affecting their life going forward, right? Yeah, it's it's it. It was the first time anyone had really looked at uh, some of this data, uh, both retrospectively because they had access, you know, the researchers at CDC and who was Dr. Anda at that time and. Dr. Filetti, who was the clinical director at Kaiser Permanente, um, they had access to the current uh, medical records and medical claims, if you will. And they also 
had the ability to do some projections. And uh, from a population uh, based uh, perspective, uh, this just answered a lot of questions in terms of those relationships. Um, you know, they, they were looking at real simple things in terms of trying to get explanations to why uh, some of the health status issues were out there in terms of uh, why we have, you know, chronic disease and, and uh, some of the um, uh, factors uh, related to behavioral practices. And they, they, you know, through the data and the research they did, the commonality was uh, the life experiences as a child. And it, it was based upon the, you know, how many of the so-called, as they identified them then, adverse childhood experiences did they actually experience as a child? And, that, and then they could correlate that with their current health status and, and future health status, if you will. And it was just amazing. It, it's sort of like that perfect dose uh, response uh, index that you see, the higher the the higher the uh, number of um, adverse experiences, the higher the risk and exposure to an actual uh, utilization of healthcare services. And, and when you look at what we pay for in healthcare, it, it's it's the chronic diseases, it's the accidental issues, it's the substance abuse, it's the issues related to behavioral services, uh, and they all seem to have their um, origin in adverse childhood experiences. And, and just so everyone knows what we're talking about, there are 10 adverse experiences that were part of the study. Um, as they looked at it, they organized it around whether or not individuals had instances of abuse. This would be sexual, emotional, uh, or physical abuse, uh, neglect, whether it was uh, physical or emotional neglect, and then what they called household dysfunctions. And that uh, would be anything from uh, folks with behavioral issues in the house uh, to uh, substance abuse to death of family and things of that nature. Um, and the population was, was a general upper upper middle class, uh, mostly white population. So we, we've seen since that original study, uh, uh, folks are looking at it and some other um, with other population groups and minority groups uh, to see whether or not the study holds true. And, and it does. There, um, there might be some additional um, characteristics, but the ACEs are common. And, and when you have as a population, uh, significant ACE penetration, uh, you can predict that uh, that's going to result in um, some high, high, uh, higher utilization of uh, services. Yeah. So you know, you mentioned and and this this um, the CDC and Kaiser study from ninety five to ninety seven and and the demographics there, but. I was partially through that study. Did I interpret right where of the, I, I believe it's tens of thousands of people they surveyed, 51 or 52% of people reported actually reported at least one ACE? Actually, it was higher. Uh, and the, um, the study group is a little over 17,000. And the 
the, it was roughly about uh, two thirds of the population had one one or more ACE, um, and nearly twenty percent of the population had at least four ACEs uh, as a child, and that that, that um, percentages seem to hold true uh, in other studies, and as, as you may know. Um, uh, Michigan now is beginning to track uh, adverse experiences through their um, uh, behavioral risk factor surveillance system um, surveys that go out annually. And uh, for the last several years, they, they've been looking at ACE questions specifically and coming up with roughly the same uh, percentages of, of this original study. Now, thinking about that study, and I think whatever I'm doing for it, there, it, it's the number, I don't want to, you know, obviously this is so personal to each person and the extent and the longitudinal, but it's it's really that number of four ACEs experienced um, as a child, that is one of the really important, um, I guess, points that really leads to a lot of outcomes. It, it like. Can you tell us a little bit about what the research and the data show related to somebody who's reporting four or more ACEs? Sure. Um, And that's not to minimize, you know, even a single adverse experience could be a a significant uh, event in in a life. Um, And and those who have four or five or six adverse childhood experiences actually might have accommodated them or had some way of mitigating those uh, experiences. So, you know, there's always caveats when you look at the data, but from a, when you look at it from a population um, basis, population group basis, uh, it's really when you see a population that has uh, four or more ACEs that you start to see those leaps in in uh, future um, utilization of care, the in the risk for uh, whether it's behavioral services, whether it's for those who you know is- issues like like suicide, uh, both teenager adult suicide. Um, you know, those risks are, you know, becoming more correlated with the number of ACEs that are in the population. You know, we can look at uh, alcoholism. We can look at, uh, you know, some of the uh, chronic diseases, particularly diabetes, anything that's related to uh, obesity, uh, things of that nature. But, yeah, four, four seems to be that trigger that really explodes the um, – the impact of adverse childhood experiences in the population. Oh yeah, and, and I certainly wasn't meaning to minimize uh, anybody anybody's experience. I mean, you read about these things that could happen to folks. I mean, you know, death in the family, alcoholism, seeing violence, seeing these things. Like, yeah, any any one trigger, you know, just and the long lasting impact it can have. And now that we can we can really point to a lot of the impact is just is just incredible, and that. That one impact, I think you hit on it. Um, we're starting to have an, a belief that fifty percent of healthcare spending can be pointed back to to, ha- to have some correlation with those who have who have high ACE scores or have who have ACEs. Yeah, I, you you know, I 
I don't know what the precise number is going to be. Let, let's say it's between 40 and 50, 55% if I were to make a guess. Uh, you know, just looking at, at the data and the high correlation between adverse experiences and, and you know, whether it's the chronic diseases or whether it's the, the um, you know, accidental issues related to behavioral choices, um, uh, obesity and some of the other areas. Uh, we, we know we're spending a lot of money there. We just, I don't think have really gone back far enough to look at, you know, why is this happening? And, you know, as a strategy, and this is why I was so interested in, in bringing the issue to our industry was, you know, if we as a group could uh, coalesce around an approach that uh, could be statewide, we could begin to make a difference in the future adverse experiences that take place and reduce that prevalence uh, and, and begin to have some impact on the population status. So, you know, that that's really, you know, I don't know if it's a fantasy or not, but that certainly was my objective in getting involved with this and bringing it to our industry. And, um you know, our, our approach, uh, when you look at other states, is totally unique and different. Uh, you know, a lot of other states that have uh, started to begin some work on adverse experiences, they, they come out of the social, uh, social services area or the public health area. And as far as I know, we're the only state that really came at it, you know, out of the door on the impact of health insurance and the cost of health care. Yeah, and I think th this was one of the things I, I wanted to, to to dive into a little bit. It's, you know, it, you've done, I think, and through the work with, with the foundation and a lot of partners, you have really built quite a network, um, quite a network throughout the state. You guys have, have a number of master trainers and you have um, these education programs. Um, and just you started you you talked about starting to work on this in 2015 2016 and and for anything in healthcare to scale that quickly is um is is mm -hmm. almost unheard of um what can you attribute that success to and maybe can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of of how you you web out the program um dumb luck <laughs> i you, you know it's, i have a hard time believing that <laughs> you, you know some some of it is intuitive uh, in terms of how you go about it. Uh, my approach has has always been to seek collaboration and, and you know develop those coalitions. We're we're much better when we're united uh, addressing an issue. So the the real the question was who else would be interested in working on this type of issue, you know and. You know, from my my thought process was always to try to identify and work with individuals and groups self-interest. And if you know where their self-interest is, then generally, uh, and if people are willing to talk about it honestly, then we can uh, reach accommodation and reach those uh, objectives. So I, I thought uh, adverse childhood experiences was an issue that cut across not just uh, healthcare, but it also moved into the education arena, law enforcement, uh, the court systems, judicial. So what what I thought would be a good idea, you know, not knowing any different, 
was to create what I called a, a breakfast club. And one of the advantages of being executive director is you get to know a lot of other trade association executives. So I just reached out to my colleagues uh, and said, you know, let's let's just have a breakfast. Uh, it'll be on me. Uh, we did them at the Kellogg Center and we did it once a month. And, you know, we had uh, folks that just come and we no agenda just to talk about where we were on, on the adverse experiences. Uh, we had certainly some individuals, I, I think, had some prior knowledge that were very helpful in kind of steering the conversation. And I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, comment on a few of those. Um, you know, Peter Pratt, uh, who many of us remember, is just a great guy, formerly with public sector consultants. And, you know, we lost Peter too soon, uh, but he was invaluable in terms of those early conversations and kind of structuring it. Um, Mike Foley, who was the director of the Michigan's Children's Trust Fund, was equally helpful. Mike had tried to raise the issue years earlier, uh, unbeknownst to me and, and others. Uh, it was within his framework. And um, so he had a sort of a base that he said, you need to raise these type of issues. And he was very helpful with his background. Um, but it, it was that breakfast group that came together, uh, which then led to our conversation with uh, bringing someone to our summer conference. And it was you know, at our summer conference, we had some representatives from the Michigan Health Endowment Fund attend, and they were uh, in uh, as interested as we were in terms of following up with this, and they were uh, kind enough to uh, suggest that we send an application for funding to the endowment fund to create an initiative, and we did, and they supported us for two years, beginning uh, the end of uh, 2016, right as I was retiring from uh, the association director's job. And I was, you know, inclined. I was uh, still wanted to spend some time working on a, a issue that I could bring some passion and knowledge uh, to. And so I worked as a consultant uh, with the on the Michigan ACE initiative, uh, but through the uh, foundation of the Michigan Association of Health Plans, uh, which uh, is its home, was its home, and um, remains its home. Well, I think, you know, we, we I'm, you know, still arm's length from it, but I've, I've become very interested in it, I think, from a lot of perspectives. And that's been um, that's one of the reasons we wanted to, to bring you on is, is there's a, a huge interest in this and especially when you can start putting the costs around it and and the impact and, and how you've brought all these different communities together to work on one project. Um, and I think related to that in in the um, the YouTube video, which I'm sure we'll, we'll link out as we post this out on our social media, you know, you talk about that Michigan's leading the way um, on, on, on tackling ACEs. You know, how are we leading the way? Um, what are those things that we're doing so well that um, other states should should look to us to um, to to uh, to to borrow from? Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, this. I guess anybody can say from the state that they happen to be in that they're leading the way. But when I look around, um, 
you know, you become acquainted with what's going on in other states. You know, you do the research, you talk with folks uh, who are involved with the different initiatives. And by and large, most of the other work on adverse experiences uh, is is regional, maybe county, maybe a city or municipality. Uh, I can't see any other statewide approach that's underway yet. Um, and if, if it's out there, it, it's it's uh, very small. So first of all, we're different, we're unique, we're statewide as opposed to uh, not. Uh, that's not to diminish the work that's going on in, in other areas in the country. They've certainly been there longer than we have. Um, secondly, and this may make be a difference, um, but my approach, you know, after working in state government and working with state government, it seemed to be a preferable approach to keep this in the private sector and to have the state of Michigan through its different state agencies as partners in this effort. They certainly have a lot of expertise uh, with with staff assigned to this work. But uh, I, I think sometimes if we're trapped by a state government approach, then that puts people off and we're, you know, we get caught up in some of the adversarial uh, politics of the day and budget cuts and everything else. Whereas if it's a private initiative, you know, we, we can accommodate some of those issues and, and create that uh, um, you know, commonality that everyone can support. So we're, we're private for the most part, but we partner with state government. That is another uniqueness to Michigan. Most every other approach has been either uh, – through a regional government, local government, or, or um, you know, uh, funded by a state government. So, you know, those areas are good. And the third area that we seem to be have a distinction is the work we've done to create a network, a statewide network. Uh, uh, I think you would agree that, you know, when you look at how do you get things done, you, you try to do it from the ground up and develop this grassroots effort. Um, we were very successful uh, because of the funding from the, uh, first from the uh, Michigan Health Endowment Fund for two years. And then I, I, we received corporate funding uh, from one of our health plans. And I'm just going to acknowledge them over this podcast. Uh, uh, they, they wanted to remain anonymous, uh, but uh, these were my friends that I got to know during my days as executive director, and this was David and Sherry Cotton in the Cotton family. Uh, they were strong believers in this approach, and without question, when asked, they provided support that kept us going, uh, actually, during the period uh, 2019 and actually ending up this year. So, But because of that support, we were able to develop what we call cohorts of master trainers. And a master trainer is is uh, an individual who has uh, been picked by the initiative to um, you know be uh, work within their community within their organization. We have a, a an agreement, actually a three year agreement, that we will work with them to provide information to uh, support their network activity. 
but they would be a voice and, and a mobilizer of uh, communication, of training, of information at the local level. And we have, uh, through the last several years, conducted um, six, uh, maybe a seven now, of the uh, cohorts of training. And we have nearly 200 master trainers in the state, which by and large, by and far uh, uh, exceed any other state, um, if you use that measurement. And it's a train-the-trainer model. So those uh, master trainers, once they're certified, uh, which is a process done by the uh, MHP Foundation, then they themselves do additional training with individuals uh, who we call community champions. And uh, I think at the last count there, we have four or 500 of those individuals across the state. So we have, we have a real large and growing um, statewide network uh, that uh, works through either local um, nonprofit organizations and agencies, uh, education, local education, intermediate districts, uh, court systems, law enforcement. Uh, uh, we have uh, individuals uh, uh, from all, all um, faces of of disciplines uh, and settings across the state. And it's, you know, that interaction between those folks has just been totally uh, gratifying. So those are why Michigan is, I think, a leader in this. And we we should acknowledge also that our training is done to, in a way, to maintain fidelity to the research and to the data. I know we, we've struggled with uh, believing data and believing science uh, recently, but uh, we, we want to maintain that fidelity to the study. So we've engaged a company called ACE Interface to um, conduct our training. And the principles of that organization uh, is uh, Dr. Rob Anda, who uh, we've indicated was the original researcher. Uh, did our conference, uh, etc., and a woman by the name of Laura Porter, who's a community organizer, just a great lady who has done a lot of this work uh, across the country, particularly in the state of Washington. So, I, I think, yeah, we, we've 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 uh, hit the ground running. We had a plan of action, uh, largely thanks to the uh, steering committee, our so-called breakfast group. Uh, and then we're able to hit the ground running with the Health Endowment Fund uh, support and the work uh, to develop our communication and social media platform. So, so you've got you know, a situation where you have, it sounds like great people, um, great funding and, and a great mission. And it's all coming together to to serve Michiganders in a way that, as you, as you kind of said, it's, it's leading the way. I mean, having 200 people buy into becoming a master trainer and and the several hundred, um, you know, community folk that are working on this. Um, that's that's you know, that's quite a web. That's you talk about an infrastructure. Right. And then once you get the infrastructure in place, you can really start delivering care and support for for these for these um, for those that need it. Um, so when you talk about master trainers and I want to make sure we get back at the end of this to give you a chance to say, Hey, this is where you can go to look into being a master trainer. But, um, what type of, what type of professions kind of fall into the master trainer category? Like who do you see most as applying to be a master trainer? You know, that's, 
it's interesting. I, I don't think there's a single category that that would describe that. Um, I, I think we look at it more in terms of place. Um, you know, we, we purposely conducted our cohorts in regions of the state. And then within that region, we're trying to develop a, a nexus or, or a core group of individuals who have proven to work with the, uh, each other organizationally, not, not as individuals, sole individuals, but we wanted someone who had uh, gravitas within the community, uh, either because of their position within their work or, you know, they, they actually might be an elected official or they might have a small business or they, um, you know, could be you know, in a variety of other uh, social service agencies. So we run the gamut of uh, local DSS officers, health officers, uh, uh, folks from community mental health agencies, uh, as I said, local school districts, uh, individuals who own businesses. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll do a shout out. We have a uh, uh, um, woman who actually owns a Grand Traverse Pie Company. And uh, they've generously supported some of our training efforts with samples of their pies. So I, I, I truly enjoy working with them. Um, and we have, um, you know, just, just a, a great uh, continuum of folks that, you know, just def defy description. You know, it, when, when you've seen one, you've seen one. Uh, but they're just totally passionate about this issue, and you can see that right away. And then when you bring them in a group, you know, you just step back, and it's just amazing. It's gratifying to uh, see what, uh, what can be accomplished by just pulling that together. Now, that kind of leads me. I, I wish I would have asked this question a little bit earlier, but um, because we, we've really talked around it. So where – um. I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. Where in the where do we look to identify children, you know, suffering from ACEs early? You know, is it through the school system? Is it through their primary care? Like, where where are you targeting to to yeah. really gather gather up the um, gather up and and find a way to deliver care to to those who need it? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question, and you look to. You know, I, ideally, you, you want to do it as soon as possible, as early as possible. So uh, this, this even gets into, you know, pre-birth, uh, you know, obviously, you know, maternal and infant health uh, initiatives programs, you know, uh, you know, if you can have a healthy birth, uh, that that's starting everyone off on a great footing. Um, you, you want to work with you know, hospitals, health systems, the healthcare community in terms of what they're looking for and what they can deal with uh, in terms of identifying issues early with children. And and more importantly, having a, a support system that, that can make a difference uh, and a referral system that can make a difference for them. So, you know, I, in an ideal world, all of this would be identified before uh, they're in school. So it'd be, you know, schools can do what they're primarily set up to do, and that's educate, not be, you know, auxiliary healthcare services. 
Um, but unfortunately, that's that's not the case. In a lot of instances, uh, we we have to deal with uh, what's what's in the school systems, and you know, it's like anything else. You go to where the where the population is, and uh, you 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 want to provide services for children uh, and identify situations and, and work with their parents and guardians to to uh, identify this. But, you know, the, the direct answer to your question is you want to do it early. Uh, you want to identify those kids. But, you, you know, what part of adverse experiences is multi-generational in, in concept when, when you think about it, because uh, – uh, what what happened with the parent and grandparent uh, is frequently will be repeated with the child. So part of the intervention, uh, when you start thinking about it, is is also working with the adult population um, to um, provide either some awareness or education in terms of how they might alter some of the practices uh, they have in their parenting. Yeah, it's you were just talking about parenting. I started to think about you know my own kids and you know the things that I do that are similar to my parents and and that multi generational thing that just that permeates our our society. Um, yeah, you know. Well, that you, uh, I was just going to follow up on that just a moment. Uh, um, where the research and science is taking us, uh, you know, it's the, the neuroscience is really uh, proven to identify why there are adverse childhood experiences and and the impact it has on brain development. Uh, And what they're also starting to show now is the impact in intergenerational and and the the science is epigenetics. And, you know, this gets way beyond my my understanding. Um, But you know, when I listen to Dr. Anda, when he goes through this explanation in the master training, um, you know, it just shows, you know, the the roots of what happened with the parent and, and they're starting to see it in the DNA uh, of children and grandchildren now. So, um, you know, that that speaks volumes to, you know, our approach needs to be multi-generational. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's a culture change, just about, and uh, we we need to think about long term solution as opposed to, you know, is this a program we can fund for twelve to eighteen months and make a difference? Uh, no, no, we we've got we have to set the bar high, and we need to have the longitudinal um, approach as well. Yeah. So we. So it sounds like we need to once. Once a child is identified, um, it sounds like we need to, you know, draw, you know, draw a map around them and say, okay, who are their most important adult figures, and then how can we educate them? So it's it's, and then how do we, you know, obviously you can keep scaling that out, but is that the model that you look at and say, you know, this is what's going to help um, children who have had adverse experiences reach their potential? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're you're on it, uh, Jeff. The what what the research is suggesting is a strong relationship between a child and an adult mentor, whether it's within the family or you know within the community or within the school, um, has a profound impact on the 
a child's experience and can mitigate a lot of the harmful effects that may be going on with adverse experiences in the home. So, you know, having that that adult relationship and, um, you know, trusting relationship, we need to say, uh, where the child can uh, have that respect. Um, so, it, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the research that really is showing more and more. You know, we try to make solutions um, complex. Yeah, and really, this, this may be simple as just, you know, finding those uh, relationships. And, and that was actually another treatment thing that um, I think I may not be using the word treatment there as best as I could, but I was watching one of the videos out there and they had, I think it was a school principal, I believe from the Flint area was talking about teaching the students about mindfulness and having those mindful moments. Um, and that seemed to loop in because you mentioned one of the reasons that it caught your attention was your wife was, was doing some yoga work with, um, with veterans who are suffering PTSD um, is the is mindfulness one of those things that can kind of that's like permeated through the the different air the the different geographic regions um, because you also mentioned in in some of the videos how you know the solution for the UP doesn't work in the Lower Peninsula and there, it's a different approach in Detroit than Kalamazoo but um, I guess the short of my question is is mindfulness one of those things that's um, being universally adopted amongst those or if it's not is there one or two things that have been universal um, from community to community as you've scaled this out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, good question. Um, I'm, a big my, mindful, I'm a big mindfulness fan myself, so that's kind of yeah. where it came from. Kind of where it came from. Yeah. Well, in in the video, and, and hopefully we can provide a link to it at the end of this podcast. Um, the the video we wanted to highlight the work that was uh, conducted by and, and facilitated by the Crim Foundation in Genesee County. And the Crim Foundation has done a lot of work in the mindfulness area. And, you know, that is, when, when we talk about adverse experiences, a lot of the work we've done is create awareness. We want more people to be aware of what it is. But then it begs the next question is, okay, you know, I see the data, I'm really engaged, now what do I do? And, you know, it's, it's solutions like mindfulness uh, and other referrals that, that we need to make. Uh, uh, to, you know, the longer answer to your question, uh, there's not one statewide approach that that seems to be out there. Uh, Genesee and the schools and some of the community organizations uh, are really engaged in mindfulness because of the uh, presence of the Crim Foundation. Other areas are picking up on that. Um, one of the things that is happening is we're, we're having the discussions between and among all of the master trainers now. And part of that is best practices. What, what works? What doesn't work? And we're starting to see, and mindfulness is actually a good, good uh, example of, uh, well, how can I bring that to my district? Who do you use? And that type of thing. So it, it's creating that referral mechanism. Of, of what works and how best to put it together uh, within my region and how can I adapt it from, say, uh, a Genesee County to a Houghton County, if you will, um, and, and create that role difference. Yeah, we try to also identify, 
you know, what works uh, in, in different uh, population groups uh, because we have to be sensitive to um, those areas. And, and we, we went out of our way um, to make sure that we, we brought in into our cohorts of master trainers, individuals from the uh, different uh, tribal units within Michigan, working through the intertribal council, um, you know, they, they, there's unique needs within the, the, uh, that population. The last two cohorts uh, we did in Detroit and Grand Rapids, both of which were done virtually, uh, we, we've engaged uh, community organizations that, that are, have longstanding within those neighborhoods. Um, and, and they will identify and figure out uh, what, what will work best, but they need that, uh, you know, that training that we can bring to them. So it's, you know, time will tell how well that works. So there, you, you hit on it, a, a point about. Yeah. Go ahead, Go ahead Rick. Yeah, I, I was going to make I one, gonna one more right. s- statement about uh, when we talk about uh, uh, what works and what doesn't work. Um, we have we have in Michigan a, a resource that we believe can provide a lot of valuable information about uh, adverse childhood experiences and what's available in the community and something that parents, educators, clinicians, and others can use. And that's Michigan's 211 system. Um, we've worked with the uh, Michigan uh, 211 call centers and, and their staff and executive directors. Uh, and, you know, they have a just a wealth of information in their databases and they have the ability to track referrals and calls and, and provide feedback to that uh, situation. So uh, if we were to build on anything, I would say Michigan 2-on-1 would be a system that's already in place that can provide that referral and uh, resource network identification. Well, that that's, you know, that was really good because that's actually what my question was going to be about is let's talk about the referral program and where should somebody go? And if they if they find a a, um, if if they find a child in need or or something like or needed help, uh, where would they start? And you kept talking, you mentioned the referral program. And now we know the two on one program is another one. Is there um, is there any other area where, you know, a a concerned family member or concerned individual might go for uh, for more information, or um, is is the two on one the best spot? Two on one may be the best, but you know, I I, I think uh, as long as we can keep it local, uh, we have, uh, and I think we still have on our website uh, the identification of all of the cohorts uh, of master trainers. And they have much better idea of what's available in the community, where some of the resources might be. They work with two on one as well, but uh, they may be able to personally help. Uh, you know, we have uh, just you know tremendous support from the uh, pediatric community, the Michigan chapter of uh, the American Academy of Pediatricians have been one of our strongest uh, groups that have been involved in. Um, you know, they're, they're engaged there in terms of some of the training that pediatricians and other medical staff should have in terms of identifying adverse experiences in their practice and what to do about it. 
Well, uh, well, we've 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 covered a lot here, Rick. <laughs> um, we've we've talked about the origin of the program. We've talked about where it, where it's going. We've talked about how to refer um, the measurements. Um, is there any, uh, I guess, final uh, final overall statement you'd like to make in related in relation to your work on Aces, or what would you like to see next, or um, you know, r- wrap it up in some way for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> Well, I think we're just scratching the surface, first of all. Um, we did, uh, uh, just because of the uh, uh, contact that I have with uh, some of the polling agencies, uh, organizations in Michigan, uh, we were able to receive uh, some polling data, uh, and it was provided at uh, no cost, so that was great. It was a volunteered uh by um, Steve Mitchell, if you know Steve. Uh, But he included in one of his uh, surveys uh, questions about adverse experiences. And, you know, we wanted to basically, we've seen the data from the health department in terms of the uh, behavioral risk factor surveillance data, you know, the survey, you know, how percentage of adults who experience these. But we wanted to test you know, what, what's really the awareness of the individuals within the state? So we were asking some of those questions. And, you know, this is why I say we've got a long way to go. As much as we think we've done a lot of work, uh, less than 30% of the state's population are aware of adverse experiences, what it is, uh, you know, they couldn't explain it or weren't familiar with the topic. You know, they may intuitively know about it, but you know, as, as a term, they're not. So we, we've got a ways to go mm-hmm. there. Uh, secondly, you know, you know, when I got into this, I, I wanted to do it uh, and keep uh, the health plan industry engaged and involved and try to find some way where it would serve their self-interest. And, and when I think about it, you know, really one of the um, strong points that Uh, where health plans and Michigan ACE initiative, I think, are going to converge is is around the area of social determinants of health. Uh, Certainly, health plans are being pushed uh, and and volunteering, actually, to move in that area for a lot of good reasons, uh, because we know it improves overall health status. so they're, they're being more and more engaged uh, in that area. But we're also seeing from the research that is where you can begin to make a lot of difference in terms of uh, uh, those services and programs that, that need to be established or developed or identified um, for individuals who have a, a adverse experience. These are... The programs that may be already identified uh, in the resource database for Michigan 211, but uh, we need to bring it home to where health plans can be engaged in kind of directing, referring their client base. And since a lot of children are in, in Medicaid and most of them are enrolled in Medicaid health plans, it seemed to be a natural uh, for you know, those organizations to begin to work more explicitly uh, on social determinants of health. And conversely, we're trying to identify for our network, you know, they need to reach out to health plans and work with them more closely. And, and we're, we're starting to see that engagement. Uh, um, we, we've seen, um, you know, health plans be generally supportive, uh, 
but uh, we we've now starting to see some some of the uh, parent uh, organizations and some of the health plans set up foundations and and uh, structure to deal with social determinants of health and. Uh, we want to make sure that ACE is front and center in those conversations. Yeah, ACE is really, after this conversation with you, you know, I had never thought about it from a structural perspective, but it seems to be the intersection of social determinants, population health, and individual's health, like all rolled up into, into one um into one concept and into one person and into their story. So I think yeah. um I think your work is definitely going places. Yeah, the the well, we can't forget, and I think the last year has just illuminated it uh, so well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that are out there, our institutional bias that's been in place, and this is the whole issue of equity. And you know, as we look at you know who has access to healthcare services and who has access to some of the social determinants of health, which make a difference, that then you get into housing and and the environment and water and food, um, you know, all those issues, um, and they have this disproportionate impact on on minority populations. And we've seen the impact on equity now because of COVID nineteen, and that's just unmask it for us. So when you look at you know where the future conversations and movement on ACEs is going to be, it's going to be, I think clearly in social determinants, but it's also going to be a vehicle to begin to address more in the in how we address equity in our health system. And I think, uh, you know, we go through, you know, better than anybody that we go through at the Association of Strategic Planning process every year and health equity was just added to our strategic plan as a, as a, as a, um, I believe we put it out as a, a goal as an objective. And we have to do a lot of building around it because there's a lot of work there, but we want to make sure we're tackling an issue at the association that's really important. And health equity is certainly one. Um, there's no wrong door, but it, it's a big topic that definitely needs uh, mass attention. Um, COVID-19 may have brought it to the surface, but it's something that has clearly been going on for a while and we need to take some time to tackle it. Right. right. Um, no, I'm thinking about this and... and Go ahead. My my two cents would be uh, I would uh, draw adverse childhood experience work uh, front and center as as the association works on that issue. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and I would I would definitely agree. And now I, I can tell you how much more I was motivated to work on it before, but now I'm I'm more motivated to work on it just to listen to you talk about the the web that you guys have built. Um, but the overall goal of our podcast, and just to kind of bring ourselves to a, a close here, um, we, we, our goal has always been to demystify healthcare. Now, you're somebody that's been in, I mean, you mentioned your experience at the beginning, but there's not a part of healthcare you probably haven't touched at some point in your career. Um, if you could demystify one healthcare misnomer, what would you, what would you demystify? <laughs> you know, I... I I'm really a passionate uh, fan and advocate for our industry. I, I, you know, this this may sound self-serving, but I honestly believe that it's not only in the self-interest of members of uh, the association, but also, you know, it 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 
just makes good public policy sense uh, to work on these these type of issues. And um, I believe that they can be the vehicle and they can drive the vehicle, if you will, in terms of making a difference. Uh, you know, it, uh, they, they certainly have the reach. They, they reach uh, a lot of the population of the state, particularly those vulnerable population. And we can't wait for uh, others to direct us on this. Uh, you, you know, that's that's been part of the issue. I, I think we're waiting for, you know, whether it's the administration or the legislature or others to, uh, you know, give us sort of a guideline in terms of moving on, on some of these issues. I, I think the industry needs to lead. Uh, and this is certainly an area that uh, I, I think uh, uh, will, will pay dividends uh, far into the future and can bring a lot of the uh, supporting organizations along. This is where everyone's self-interest is on the same table. Okay, and then also uh, maybe you answered this, but looking ahead, I'll give you another uh, a chance at this question too. Uh, what does the future of healthcare look like to you? Um, I, I'm kind of intrigued about the future. I, I think it's going to be more personal, uh, personalized. Uh, I, I think uh, we've gone through an experiment uh, over the last year in terms of uh, uh, telemedicine, telehealth, uh, and I think we've got a comfort level with it. I think we need to explore how technology can help us move further in that direction, make it more affordable. Um, and so I, I I think it's going to be there. Um, I worry a little bit we can be sidetracked on on some of the conversations about uh, single payer and some of the other issues. Uh, I, I think regardless of where those those conversations will go, there's always going to be a role in place for uh, you know members of our industry, particularly those working in the Medicaid area. Uh, but the commercial area certainly uh, has has a large uh, uh, role to play, and I, I I think sometimes we forget about uh, Medicare and Medicare Advantage uh, plans and the effort they have, and because uh, the work in uh, social determinants and and I'll even say ACEs is multi generational. We need to make sure that uh, those that are served by Medicare Advantage are living good, healthy lives, because then we can at least have some degree of confidence that uh, that will, um, you know, be a model for their children and grandchildren. Yeah, I, I just got through a book a little bit ago from Vivek Murthy, who's uh, who was the prior Surgeon General of the Obama administration, is now the incoming Surgeon General for the for the Biden administration, and he's talking a lot about focusing on on Medicare and Medicare Advantage programs and and their effect on loneliness. Yeah. Um, so I think that's also something that's going to get folded in. But I think like that overall that theme of like a personal approach to healthcare is definitely something that's permeating its way up. Absolutely. We should be and, in front of um, it, you know, <laughs> try, trying to get there every day, trying to get there every day. So, um, Rick, this has been awesome, I think, for for me and I think will be very educational to listeners. Um, give you one more one more one more chance here. Uh, and just any final thought after um, after talking through this for almost an hour? Um, no, no, I am. 
I'm, I was just so pleased, and uh, it's it's been a pleasure to have worked uh, in the many areas I have over my career. Um, you know, this seems to be the ice cream. Uh, you know, it's an issue I, I really have passion about, and will continue to have passion. And even though I may not be directly involved with it, I'm going to be available. Uh, Lisa Farnham, uh, who's, who's the managing director of the foundation for the association, has ably managed and uh, coordinated a lot of the work on the ACE initiative and will continue to do so. And other leaders will evolve. Uh, that, that network we have, you know, is just going to grow and we're going to find some real all-stars coming out of there. So I'd pay attention. <laughs> I think we will. And so I think one final question for me, as I've been, as I've been thinking about it, um, you know, you spent many years as executive director of MHP. Did you ever think MHP would have a podcast? You know, I didn't even know what a podcast was, so <laughs> it, it wasn't in any of my strategic planning, but uh, I, I yeah. think, uh, we wanted to be able to reach people, uh, and I, I know the work we had, we, we've used Martin Waymar, and you guys continue to do so. Uh, they were very instrumental in, in just leading us into using different forms of social media. So, um, you know, podcast, uh, blogs, uh, Twitter, you know. You know, whatever whatever the next evolution is going to be, I think uh, we got to reach the people where they are. And I think we're gonna we're gonna keep evolving that. Um, but I, th I think most importantly, Rick, thank you for taking the time today. I, I, you know, I know we made jokes about your repeated retirements, but you're by no means um, uh, somebody that doesn't have things to do, and for you to to put up so much of your time for this and and to show up so prepared, you know, I really appreciate it. Um, I always know that you're. Uh, a phone call or an email away and um, you know, we'll make sure to keep you close going here into 2021 and we're going to keep uh, forwarding your work on, on ACEs. And I think um, most importantly, you're right. We need to bring it a little bit to the forefront, but um, you know, stay close and um, we just thank you so much for taking your time and appearing on here today. My pleasure. Hope everyone has a great holiday and stay healthy. Thanks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the newest edition of the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. Again, we're sponsored by the Michigan Association of Health Plans and uh, wishing everybody a wonderful holiday season. Uh, stay safe, take care of yourself, and if you can, take care of somebody else. Thank you for listening to the Explanation of Benefits podcast. Would you like to be a guest on our show or do you have a show idea? Head to mhp.org to submit that over. We look forward to demystifying Michigan's healthcare industry.